Welcome to the Hands-On History Podcast. My name is Mark Collings. I'm currently President of the Central Alberta Historical Society and Vice President of the Historical Society of Alberta. I'm also Executive Producer with Destination History, a historical documentary production company. Hands-On History tells the stories of historical sites around Alberta, taking us on unique journeys throughout the province. I'd like to welcome Cheryl Jones uh, to the Hands-On History Podcast. Cheryl is uh, involved with the museum in Rimby, Alberta, which is a fascinating little village and it has a really rich history going back to the earlier parts of Alberta. So I'm going to introduce uh, Cheryl to Hi, Cheryl. Good morning, Mark. So maybe give me a little bit of a background uh, on the on the town. Like, where did Rimby get its name, for example? Well, Rimby actually is the name of three of the first settlers families that came to the area. Uh, they came up from Kansas, and it was known as Kansas Ridge in the very beginning. And that was in 1902. So it was um, Ben, Jim and Sam Rimby that came up and settled in the area. The The Rimbys came to the area to survey and help settle the town. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about the history of the historical site that you're involved with. The, the first seeds of for this site, this museum, were planted in, back in 1960s when the first church that was ever built in Rimby, the Anglican Church, the Epiphany, was um, slated for demolition or sold to Heritage Park Museum in Calgary because they were just starting up in that time. A local newspaper columnist uh, and historian, Fred Schutz, lobbied hard to get this piece of history from Rimby saved. It was uh, built in 1908, the church, by Ben Rimby. Uh, this building is a rare structure constructed of native area logs that were set vertically. It's a rare method of construction, and it's believed to be only used in a couple other churches in Alberta. It's pretty sturdy, and the church obviously has stood over the stands of time. It was moved to the, to the uh, property here in 1964, when the newly formed Historical Society partnered with the town to make a museum site. So that was the first building brought to the museum grounds. And Lieutenant Governor Grant McEwen officially opened the museum in 1967 with the log church and the little town office that was brought here from Main Street as well. And they gave an unusual name to the historical park. Maybe you could talk about that and where that name is uh, rooted in, what history that name is rooted in. Certainly. Yes, yeah, the official name for the park is the Pascapoo Historical Park and Museum. So Pascapoo actually is a native Cree word. In about 1754, Explorer Anthony Henday, who was guided by a group of Cree native peoples, were camped in the River Valley, that's just west of town here. And on a sunny day in the winter, after squinting all day through the glare of the sun on the fresh snow, Henday was struck with snow blindness. It's a painful but temporary loss of vision. And the Cree called the name the River Pascapoo, which translated in English means blind man. 
So the area is also known as the Blind Man River Valley. So how many uh, historical buildings are in uh, the village historical site? Well, now we have 11 historical buildings, uh, buildings that were brought into the area, mostly from Main Street, Rimby. And then we also have uh, some larger museum buildings as the Truck Museum, the Smithson International Truck Museum. We have a couple of pioneer historical museums, including a tractor museum and a medical museum, as well as a military museum. The military museum is actually located in one of the buildings that was brought from Bluffton, a hamlet just north of town. And that was their Legion building. So this must look like a little village, this um, area that you're in. Yes, we're on nine acres. And we've got a pond and picnic areas, a playground, and an open-air pavilion for camping and, or not, sorry, not camping, for picnicking and events. What accessibility does the public have to this area? Is the whole village open year-round or is it just some of the buildings that are open year-round? The grounds to the museum are open year-round to the public. Um, it's a great way to walk through. Even in the wintertime, we have people walking through and some have actually even brought their skis and, and did um, cross-country skiing through the grounds. The buildings in the village are closed for the winter and opened in the summer with tours. And we do guided tours throughout those buildings. The Smithson International Truck Museum is open year-round, shorter hours in the winter, but we're open year-round. So what are some of the, uh, I guess, displays in the buildings in the, in, the, in the historic village that might be of interest to people? Well, being that it's a whole village, we've got basically the beginnings of a town of Rimby with the church. We've got a homesteader's cottage and a little trapper's cabin. The town office, as I mentioned earlier, that was brought from Main Street in Rimby, and that houses some information from the past of the beginnings of the town and the RCMP actually as well when they started in Rimby. We've got Rimby's first schoolhouse. It was a log building. It's uh, Kansas Ridge Schoolhouse. As I mentioned before, that was the first name for Rimby was Kansas Ridge. So it's a one-room schoolhouse and it's got all of the desks, the original desks in there and history of past teachers and things. We have a blacksmith shop with quite a large collection of various tools, rent buggy wrenches and different types of wrenches. We've got a wooden caboose and a train station. We've got a little barber shop that was again brought from Main Street Rimby and Tom Spinks was the barber here in Rimby at many years ago. So we've got a display with his family in the back room, Spinks house. They lived in the back of the barber shop. We've also got, uh, we've built a big medical museum. The Rimby Hospital uh, did renovations and they gifted us several artifacts. So we've got a lot of instruments and tools, including an operating table that Rimby used. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the, um, the museum housing all the old tractors and uh, trucks. 
So we've got two buildings. One is dedicated to tractors, and that's uh, located just beside the truck museum. We've got several makes and models of tractors, International, Cockshut, uh, David Brown. We've got uh, McCormick Deering, of course, a John Deere. And in the truck museum, we have uh, the core collection, which includes 19 pickup trucks, one from every series that International made a pickup truck. And they date from 1935 to 1974. As well in on exhibit in that gallery is are a couple other vehicles. We've got an International Travel All, uh, International Scout. We've got a uh, Barracuda that was doesn't seem like it fits in an international museum, but it was bought new in Rimby at the Davis Brothers Garage back in '66, owned by one family. And after touring all over Canada and the U.S., they thought it should come back to Rimby, so it's on display here in our museum. On the walls of the truck museum, we also have hundreds of pioneer photos, black and white pioneer photos of the area. There's farming, logging, trucking, a lot of history, rich history. And we have a large license plate collection, as well as a little bit of an art deco piece. It's a license plate car, car covered with license plates. It's quite unusual. And funny enough, that's the only vehicle in the museum that doesn't run. Every other vehicle in the museum does run. Why international trucks? International was a, um, a big influence in this area. And pickup trucks were the... They called them corn binders and different. They were the work truck of the area as well. International dealership in town. There were several of them over the years. And um, international just kind of stuck. Why it's the Ken Smithson International Truck Museum is Ken Smithson was the one who collected and restored the core collection that we have here in the museum. So you must have quite a support staff working to maintain that collection. Well, it's mainly volunteers. We All the restoration and the work on the trucks is done by volunteers. I myself am the only full-time uh, staff member for the museum. And then we get some summer help in students and volunteers as well for doing tours and events throughout the summer months. Maybe you could tell us about the uh, BD House. It is a historical site listed in the uh, Alberta's registry. It is, yes. The BD House is um, down on the, at the, actually in the corner of town. It's uh, the only four-way stop that we have in town. And it has, um, it helps us celebrate the rich history in the Rimby area. It was built in 1925 and it's, stood pretty much relatively unchanged. Um, the heritage value of this house lies in the representation of the post-World War I prosperity of small towns in rural Alberta. Jack Beatty owned and operated a successful hardware store, and he was a leading citizen in town. He and his wife Violet lived in the house until Jack passed in 56, and Violet continued to live in the house until she passed in 84. 
And then the landmark house was purchased by a committee of the Rimby Historical Society in 87. And it's preserved for the public to enjoy. In um, 2001, the Beatty Heritage House Society was formed. And they continue to take care of the house and the grounds. So it, this house is open for tours in the summer. And it's a completely volunteer-run society. So they look after that. And the grounds are also available for picnics. And um, they do uh, various events throughout the year as well. Probably like most Alberta towns started fairly humbly, but it did grow very quickly, I guess, when the railway came through, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah, the railway was, uh, of course, a big uh, influx to prairies. And in 1919, it came to Rimby. And at that time, then they built a couple of grain elevators and the town swelled to a population of 319 people then. <laughs> now we're populated about 2,500 in Ribby and we've stayed pretty steady at that number. Located fairly central, so we're a quick drive from Edmonton, Day Trip or Calgary. Red Deer's not very far away. Sylvan, there's several lakes that are close by as well. And from a from the from a historical perspective, there seems to be a lot of history preserved in the town as well. So you must have a lot of events and other things that uh, happen around town connected with the local history. There certainly are. There's a great rodeo association, and there's a um, actually there's a, a interesting piece, a little example of history that's found just a little north of town is. Uh, monastery of holy protection it's the longest continuously functioning orthodox christian monastery in canada which i found that was quite interesting the property was acquired in 1928 consists of about 80 acres um, it's isolated forest land and it's covered with the native pine and birch trees and situated by a small lake it has a monastery temple just a tiny little temple, which I believe was built in 1932. This yeah. monastery is just a short distance away from Rimby, and it also has a little cemetery and its own little chapel and bell house. It's available for private tours on the property, but you have to phone ahead to arrange that. So what's the, what's in the future? What's What uh, future plans does the uh, museum have and the historical societies have in uh, Rimby? Well, of course, we're always looking to stay relevant. Um, the Historical Society governing the museum here wants to make sure we keep up with the times. So we're always looking into new education programming and different events and things we can have going on. There's uh, Canada Day celebrations here every year, and that draws hundreds of people to the grounds. And we have all the buildings open with volunteers in them to do little interpretive tours as they wander in and out throughout the grounds, enjoying Canada Day celebrations. Um, we have an annual show and shine that happens on the museum grounds in usually middle of August, July or August, and it's um, open for car collectors. We park all the vintage cars throughout the grounds in and amongst the buildings. And it's a very nice setting for people, especially to take their pictures of their vintage cars by the old buildings. Are there tours available? 
guided tours available for people visiting? In the summertime, we do guided tours throughout the whole village. So you can come and grab your guide at the truck museum. And then tours take anywhere from an hour to two hours. Some can take a long afternoon if you're really interested, because like I said, there are 11 historical buildings and several museum buildings as well. So we take you personally and go through each building and give you a little history of the objects within and the exhibits. Well, this is great, uh, Cheryl. I mean, it sounds like a very dynamic little village or town. Lots for uh, visitors to see and to uh, enjoy and uh, under to learn about the uh, the early history of the province. There is a lot to hear, to visit and see here. Um, recently, we've acquired actually the Steve's house, which is a little log house that was. Hoadley's first post office. Hoadley is located just north of town and it's the house that Jeanette Oak grew up in. So Jeanette Oak is an author and she's written more than 80 books. I'm not sure if viewers are familiar with her works but several visitors that come to the truck museum find it interesting to find her life's work here. All the books that she's written her awards, we've got a few original manuscripts, and like I said, the house we just brought in in 2019, actually, and we do tours throughout that in the summertime as well. A little side note, Jeanette Oak, her father-in-law had an international dealership, so that was quite an interesting tie to have her exhibit connected to the truck museum, the International Truck Museum. Oh, interesting. So what are, what are some of the books that are available on local history through the museum? We have, we have a couple. There's um, Fred Schutz had penned a few books. He's got West of the Blind Man and uh, Tributaries of the Blind Man, one and two. Uh, the first volume is no longer in print, but the second volume we do have available here at the museum. And then we have a few of Jeanette Oak's works here as well. So her books actually were, um, there were a few that were made into movies. And then there's a TV series, When Calls the Heart. And I believe that's still on television, When Calls the Heart. And that was her, out of a, her book series. Well, that's interesting. That's, uh, it's really nice to have that uh, history available for people to uh, purchase and take away. Uh, keeps the uh, story going. It certainly does. Yeah. And they're available in their gift shop as, uh, along with um, a few other local artisans wares. We have a group of gals that come and do quilting and stitch quilting and their quilts are available in our gift shop as well. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl, for sharing this story with us and uh, we wish you all the best in 2024. I'm sure it's going to be an interesting year for you guys. Great. Thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Great. Bye-bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another Hands-On History podcast. Remember, history in Alberta is a hands-on adventure. We encourage you to visit the sites covered in our podcasts. Visit our website at handsonhistory.ca to subscribe to future podcasts. Bye for now.